0: back to Cincinnati Zoo Tales. I'm Jenna.
1: And I'm Mark. Thank you all for tuning in for another episode. Jenna, we've got a returning guest on today. It's been a minute since he has been here with us. You but were
0: one of our first guests.
1: I think so. One yeah. of the first guests on the podcast. Yeah, we're being joined by Cody Sowers, who is the head keeper in our aviculture department, but resident bird expert. You know how much I love to talk about birds, Jen. I'm excited for this episode. Cody, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for
2: having me. Uh, repeat offender, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. I think you're the very first one to actually... We've recorded others that they haven't played, and you'll be the first one to to do that, I think.
1: To be a repeat guest. Yeah, a repeat, a repeat. Oh, yes. Cool. Yes. Okay. So okay. I not yeah. explain that well. But yeah, so anyway, <laughs> welcome back. Well, thanks I'm glad for to be coming. back. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah. Um, so give us a brief synopsis how you became a bird keeper the you know the typical story of how you got to where you are yeah
2: yeah long story short uh because it's a very long complicated journey um but i i was a tour guide as an environmental educator ended up at sea world um from there applied to penguins and the rest is history so now i'm in cincinnati it's actually just turned over my 15th year here in cincinnati which is kind of (laughs) weird but really awesome though but yeah so i've been doing this Roughly 18 years. Okay.
0: Yeah. So it's like one of those things. You didn't necessarily see yourself as a bird person, but Definitely you became not. one. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> I, that was never my goal was to be a zookeeper, and it just kind of happened. So
1: that's Penguins funny. are what did it, right? Like that's your true love? Right? Uh, now they are. Now uh, they uh, are. <laughs> yeah, at, at the time,
2: they weren't. I mean, I, I really like birds of prey and things like that. Okay. And then um, I actually applied to the wrong job. So that was that was my, my mistake at SeaWorld that ended up being like the best thing ever. I, I applied to the Can wrong job. That? that was that was really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, it's uh it, it worked out pretty well. Yeah. So now penguins are are my
1: jam. That's incredible but, it worked yeah. out like that though. You fill out the wrong application. I, I did, everything. yeah. It works I out. Didn't realize
2: till the job interview. Uh, and it was
1: just
0: like but you're great we'll just hire you anyway so yeah it,
2: it just worked out you know so I was yeah.
1: say, what was that moment like for you in the job interview where you realized it wasn't what you expected um <laughs> it was
2: like the biggest gut punch I've ever had in my life cause you know I, I ended up asking like hey why are we talking about penguins it's like well this is a penguin job and I'm like oh and it's like well you'd be really good for the penguin job or for this this other job I'm like oh great cause I thought I was applying for birds of prey in their avian center and the curator at the time was like yeah, you can't apply for that. The job's closed. And so like, I left the interview and I called my wife. We were just married. And I was like, I just made the biggest mistake of my life. Like, oh, no. I just messed up. And then I got a call later. Like, Hey, you want to work with penguins? I said, yeah, <laughs> let's do it. And yeah, the rest is history. So yeah. oh,
1: that's,
0: <laughs> that's, wild. that's a really good start. Like I, that's one of our yeah. most interesting like starts to how you got to where you are. Oh yeah. A story, yeah. So. yeah. I like,
1: feel like it's like the inverse, right? Cause normally it's like people are, like scratching tooth oh, and nail yes. just to get yeah. into this field and then it's like you just kind of like tripped up into it I was it just and a moron great... yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's all good <laughs> uh,
0: so you guys have different areas that you kind of specialize in the birdhouse um, or bird yeah. department mm-hmm. what is your specialty
2: so my specialty would be seabirds and I've spent you know the majority of my career working the seabirds I mean. I, Uh, myself and Ricky as the head keepers we have to basically work in everything in our Mm -hmm. department we have about 126 different species so we have to know a lot about a lot of stuff but um, for me my background has mostly been seabirds and that's what I'm most passionate about in the the avian world
0: okay so can you give us examples of seabirds that people like what would be considered a seabird
2: yeah obviously obviously penguins are the most popular seabird probably the most popular bird I would say penguins Um, And then you have everything like uh, your whole Alcid family, so common murs, puffins, the different puffin species, um, a lot of little, you know, seabirds, you can think of um, certain loon species would be considered that. So any birds that are spending the majority of their time on the water, I mean, you could even say like a stellar sea eagle would be a seabird. Okay, really? Um, So, you know, you have a a wide variety of birds from raptors down to like little marbled murrelets, which are really tiny, you know, um, Alaskan Alcid species really really weird bird but you know you have a wide variety so if okay. you're spending all that time at the ocean you're pretty much in that seabird category okay. yeah
1: and I think that's one of the toughest parts for at least from outside looking in for your department is just the variety that you do work with even yeah. obviously among shorebirds there's plenty of variety but then expanding like you said you work with 126 126
2: roughly, roughly is what yeah. we have yeah and you know it's, it's really cool for us I think Cincinnati has a great bird group Uh, I mean, we've got, you know, like out of all those species, so many zoos don't even have bird departments Mm -hmm. and that's really weird to me as a bird person. That's really odd, but I always view and I always judge zoos by their bird collection (laughs) because if you like, if you have a lot of resources going to a species that, you know, most people aren't coming to see, that says a lot about your zoo. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we have a lot of, a lot of really cool stuff going on here, but having such a good diversity of birds here, I think is
1: fantastic. Yeah, no, that's a good way to put it. I never really thought about it like that, but like, not to say that elephants and rhinos don't need care, right? Of course oh, they do. But like, yeah. it's easy to kind of put your focus towards those really large, charismatic mm-hmm. species. They bring visitors in, but some of those species that many visitors might not know about or might not necessarily be coming to see, like, yeah. when a zoo invests its funds in that kind of oh, absolutely. Yeah, conservation, yeah. it matters. Yeah. Yeah. We,
2: we, I mean, we know the majority of folks are coming to see Fiona, and that's awesome, but when, like, Hippo Cove gets too crowded, we hope they like, trickle into the birdhouse and might see something completely different that yeah. they weren't expecting to see. It's kind of like how in our building we use penguins as like a gateway bird. That's what I like to call them. Because like, we get you in the door by putting the penguin exhibit on the, as the last exhibit. So you have to walk through the whole <laughs> birdhouse to oh, see penguins. Yeah. But we hope on your way to the penguin exhibit that you're going to see something else that you're like... Oh my gosh, that's different. I've never seen that before. What is this weird bird? Oh, it's a rhino hornbill. That's fantastic. Like, it looks like a toucan. It's not a toucan. But, you know, it's like, that's the number one thing people say. Oh, look at the toucan. Well, actually, it's this. And then, you know, they have this aha moment. It's really fantastic. They learn so, something each yeah.
0: time they come. There's a new bird to see. I mean, or discover, yeah. like, I don't think I know even half of the birds that we have here at the yeah. zoo. I've yeah. been here for a while. There's a lot. And when you mentioned that a lot of zoos don't even have bird departments, are you mm-hmm. saying, for example, like Mark and I care for birds, but we are not technically bird department keepers? Sure, sure. So it's, like it, a lot of zoos it's have It's like the that.
2: geographic type yeah. thing, you know, like in the Africa exhibit, you guys have a lot of different species of animals and birds are kind of, kind of like the punctuation to the mammal sentence, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so having a specific bird area, I think is always really cool. And again, that's how I judge zoos. So
1: Interesting. Yeah. No, that's
2: awesome.
0: So you mentioned that shorebirds are your favorites. Yes. And you've had some really cool and inspiring and important experiences recently. So we wanted to talk to you about your conservation efforts. Yeah. And I don't know if there's a specific one you'd like to start with first, but there's Mm. been three that you've gotten to work with in the last five years or so. Yeah. And two of them were recently this year. Yeah.
2: This, This has been my summer of conservation for sure. In May, I was in LA working with the International Bird Rescue. Um, and then in July, I was up in northern Michigan working with the Detroit Zoo and a few other zoos at the University of Michigan's Biological Station on Douglas Lake, working with um, the Piping Plover Project. It's a really, really cool project up there. So um, then the the other one you mentioned, um, it was the Kimberly-Flamingo Crisis, which was in 2019. Um, so that's kind of like, we'll, we'll start there. Okay. Um, so... Basically what happened in South Africa, in Kimberley, South Africa, there's a large reservoir. Now it's a man-made reservoir, but it's the only location where lesser flamingos breed. It's their only breeding site in South Africa. Since
0: it's man-made, where did they breed before uh, Yeah, I do Yeah, I don't have the answer no, to that. That's, <laughs> that's really interesting. I'm sure there was a marsh somewhere, okay, right? Yeah. Uh,
2: but yeah, so this giant area, um, the dam kind of broke a little bit. There was also pollution from nearby like mining activity or some other industry that was going on around the area. Basically, long story short, um, it was breeding season. Um, the water basically went away because it was kind of a drought as well. Okay. Um, so the chicks that had just hatched, and then there were a few eggs that were still on the breeding area. All the adults left and left all these babies. And so there was this giant international response where... 2,000 roughly flamingo babies were all brought into somebody's house and it turned into this giant international thing where, um, you know, kind of came out to the American zoos of like, hey, we're going to split these flamingos up into these other facilities and we need people that have flamingo hand-rearing experience. So I was luckily uh, one of the folks that got to go and got to go and uh, help raise flamingo babies to get them back to their natural habitat. Super, super cool experience. I mean, we were stationed at a zoo in Midrand, so in between Johannesburg and Pretoria. A little tiny zoo, like a 15 acre zoo. Um, you know, the guy who owned the zoo lived on the zoo property. I, I always made fun of him, like, about that Matt Damon movie, like, So We Bought a Zoo. But oh, we bought a Zoo. <laughs> like, his name was Eddie, and I was always like, Eddie, this is about you, right? And he was like, No. He <laughs> you know, was like, kind of a rough guy. Uh, but we, at, at that facility, we had a 119 flamingo babies. Wow. Um, and then we were, basically, when I started, we were feeding them like six times a day, tube feeding 119 babies six times a day. And then when I left, we had gotten everybody to eating on their own so that we were tube feeding like three birds like once a day.
0: It's a huge difference. Yes, Yes. tube feeding has to be so stressful. Like there's an art to that.
2: There absolutely is, and that's uh, luckily why. Like I have a very weird skill (laughs) set. You know, this job has given me a weird skill set, and tube feeding is one of them. And tube feeding flamingos is really, really stressful because if you make a mistake, you're probably going to kill that animal. Unfortunately, like Mm -hmm. with with tube feeding, so it's a really delicate process. Mm -hmm. But when you have 119. Birds, you have to kind of... Six
0: times a day. Yeah, and like, then you're
2: doing weights, and then you're preparing food, and then you're we're doing a lot of washing things. And then we were, we were in, like, a side area where it was, like, a retired lion's, like, exercise yard, and then there's, like, shift gates, and he was on the other side. Oh gosh. And <laughs> it was just It was just really bizarre, oh you know. Gosh. And then you're in another country, and then, you know, it was it was fascinating. But the cool thing out of that is I worked with Kylie who she is the manager of the International Bird Rescue um, out in L.A. Um, So we kind of, you know, talking a little bit about like what she does and like what our zoo does and talked about our our crew conservation grant. And so over the last couple years, I've been able to secure that grant for International Bird Rescue and kind of give them some extra funds. You know, they're a smaller facility, they're a nonprofit. So they're dealing with just rescuing native seabirds out in L.A. They've done a lot of really, really cool work. They deal with a lot of pelicans. Pelicans that have fish hooks in them, was kind of a big thing. Um, sometimes pelicans that get slashed, like their, their pouch gets mm. cut. Sometimes that's deliberately. Um, really? Yeah. So, For like, what reason? Um, sometimes fishermen will do that um, just because pelicans are stealing their fish. Um, so some things like, yeah, really, really, really weird stuff. Um, sometimes that can happen. Not saying all fishermen do that, obviously. Um, but yeah, so they deal with some things like that. They deal with a lot of oil spills. So in LA, there's a lot of natural oil seeps. if you think of Mm -hmm. like the La Brea tar pits or in downtown LA, Mm -hmm. if you think about that, like sometimes birds will fly into that, which I know that just happened recently. They had uh, Canada geese flying there like a few weeks ago, and they've been working to kind of rehab these Canada geese that m- that mistakenly flew into the tar thinking it was, Water? you know, some sort of pond. Oh, my <laughs> oh gosh. No. Yeah, I need to so, look this up. I didn't hear about that. Yeah, so they've been, they've been dealing with that recently. But anyway, so um, in May of this year, I ended up going out. So after the last two years, I've gotten the grant for international bird rescue. So I decided to go out and just see what they do and kind of work with them for a few days. Um, and it's fascinating, like the work that they do, like, you know, conservation work, you know, we, we think of conservation, like we were talking earlier, like in a faraway land, like, Mm -hmm. like African animal conservation, like it's really difficult to go do that, you know, and like, you know, going to South Africa and doing flamingos, that was really awesome that's like a far off destination but a lot of conservation needs to happen here in this country mm-hmm. as well and um so bird rescue is kind of filling that niche for you know what is happening with those western seabirds um so i went out and worked with them for a few days and uh it was very very fascinated the pace of how they they operate so you'd get you know they had you know say there's 20 birds in their facility And then you get into the groove of how you're working, like, okay, I'm going to clean this area, or I'm going to ship these birds, or, you know, know, give this bird the medical treatment it needs, and then a bell rings, and somebody's dropping off another animal, and then you have to Mm -hmm. intake that bird, and then you kind of, okay, now I'm in the routine, the bell rings. Oh, okay, cool, you know, like, hey, you know, I'm just going to go over here and take a drink of water, the bell rings. And it was just constant. The entire time I was there, like, the bell just kept ringing, and then... They also were dealing with uh, HPAI, so Uh, bird flu stuff. So certain birds would come in and then they would have to don all their gear and then go and like intake that animal and then start all that process on the bird flu side of things. So it was just fascinating. Then you've got birds that are getting ready to be released. You've got birds that are there for a little bit longer term care. Um, They had a group of mallards that were in the La Brea Tar Pits, like a bunch of mallard babies that they were able to get out and then clean off and... So doing the oil spill stuff, that's a, a big thing for me. Um, cause I, I'm HAZWIPR certified, so I can respond to an oil spill wow, and like help you. out with that. Never had to do that, luckily. Mm. Um, but um, I'm ready to go in case we need to. But um, So being there and seeing that process and putting on the Tyvek suits to deal with a common loon that was an oil spill survivor. And then it still had some residue of that, so you have to wear the proper PPE. And then restraining that animal to then clean it off a little bit more and just... It was it was really, really fascinating.
0: How like, many people are there with you helping on like a daily basis?
2: So so I, I did two days of work with them, you know, roughly eight, nine hours a day. And I think it was like maybe four, three or four. Very so it's a
1: small team.
2: Small team. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of birds. You know, um, one of the coolest things, I did get to release a red-throated loon. So it had gone through like the whole rehab process. And I got to go out with their PR team and then like release a loon it was very anticlimactic it was very like like we let it out of the box and you know like it went out into the bay a little bit and it just kind of floated there for a bit and i was like oh that's really cool and then it just ran across the ocean and was gone it was just like ran took off gone and i was like oh okay like you know no disney music or anything. It just it just kind of was like oh okay you're gone all right now back to work you know, and then the bell was ringing and you know all oh that cool stuff but Really, really cool experience though. So I felt pretty fortunate to go see that.
0: Do you know what the grant that you were securing specifically went to for them? Do they have a very specific project or?
2: That was for like just general operations. Okay. Um, I know moving forward, we're going to find some specific stuff cause I, I'm going to apply again mm-hmm. for that mm-hmm. whole program, but it's just trying to find like very specific things to kind of, Contribute. I mean, right now it's just general, but like they need all the funding they can
1: get. Yeah, gotcha. You know, that's a smaller organization. Yeah. So. And you mentioned those crew grants. For any listeners who, out there who aren't aware, um, our Crew Facility Center for re- Research of Endangered Wildlife they provide grants to different non-governmental organizations, nonprofits, different conservation organizations, really across the world. And um, as employees at the zoo, we can kind of uh, make suggestions or put in a, an application. Of where we would like to kind of send those funds, so Cody was responsible yeah. for getting the funds kind of directed towards the international bird rescue, yeah. which I'm sure had to be extremely rewarding to actually get out there and see where the funds yeah. were going to. Right? Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah.
2: yeah, and that that was kind of like my long term vision for that is you know getting the grant the first year. It's like okay, well maybe if we get this again, then maybe I can just go out just to see, and I I would love it like to start sending like our staff, like bird staff out there just to go see that process. Mm-hmm. I think that would be really cool for our team to, you know, just to get that experience and just see like such a different pace, you know, mm. like we get used to our nine to five or for us, you know, seven to three thirty, seven seven to five thirty, whatever mm-hmm. that is. But, um, we get into our routines and yeah, every day is different as a zookeeper. You know, we know that we have like a general schedule, but every, you know, they're, they're kind of routines. Um, out there, it was just, every day, it was, like, drastically different. Random animal you know? shows up. It's,
0: it's like, fun. oh, hey,
2: all these 17 pelicans, we need to move them from this side of this enclosure to this enclosure, because we need to rehang a perch and clean this pool. Oh, okay, so we're, you know, I got to, you know, grab brown pelicans. I love pelicans. They are like, one of my favorites. So I was like, hey, this is, this is cool, you know, I get to wrestle pelicans (laughs) don't get to do that every day you know
0: are they running off of donations specifically like for food because that's a a lot of different species to be getting food for and like having the right resources they're all different ranges of types of birds like yeah
2: they go through a lot of fish you know it's kind of like you know i guess if they're seabirds seabirds. yeah Yeah, it's mostly fish so so that's been um that was kind of what they were dealing with that makes sense i
0: guess that makes it a little bit easier yeah sure uh, but still, I'm sure tons of hard work. and Yeah,
2: they do a great job. Like, it, it, it was really impressive to me. Like, it, it, again, going out and seeing, like, a smaller facility and a smaller team and, like, like the amount of stuff that they're doing, is it was
1: incredible. Yeah. So you were there for two days, you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Is there, like, an average number of birds, like, in those couple of days that you think they took in per day? Like, oh, Or I, does it just kind of completely depend on the day kinda, and the It kind of ebbs and flows, okay. really.
2: I mean, they were kind of at the beginning stages of, like, pelicans really coming in because like I want to say it was a few months before they had like a crazy number of pelicans all these juvenile pelicans coming in and it was like for various reasons but they were all just like starting to crash off the coast and they were just bringing them in and it was just it was incredible like that the number of that I mean there were there was a group of like I think it was around 10 like western grebes in one of the pools that all came in at the same time but just a just crazy numbers of birds and one of the big things they did last year is they had an elegant turn rescue from like a breeding area where somebody crashed a drone oh, no. into the breeding site and they oh, had to go no. and like capture all of these, you know, turn babies. And I think it was like 3,400. Like turns oh because somebody like wrecked their drone taking footage wow. out in, out in uh, like in LA.
1: What a disaster! Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: And so, did the
0: adults leave because they were terrified? You know, most, or most what? of the adults
2: were like, "Yeah, I'm out of here." It's wow. kind of very similar to that flamingo crisis wow, where like something something happens season. and the adults are like, "Hey, see you later." So yeah, like they again very impressive like the amount of work and like what they deal with on a day to day basis. It was it was impressive.
1: Yeah. yeah, especially for that small of a team. You'd imagine with that many birds, yeah. they've got. 20 30 right. people yeah. helping out I think I yeah. think they
2: have I want to say maybe 7 or 8 people total, total. Yeah jeez and oh it, was, it was I'm sure there's And slams. they have a lot of volunteers <laughs> too a lot of volunteers sure. too and you know, some of the volunteers have been doing that for a long time. Uh, some of the volunteers I had met. So that was kind of cool.
0: Rehab people are amazing. Like, they, they sacrifice are. so much because yeah. you don't know when an animal is going to be injured or ill or need to come in. and Yeah. yeah. And you're not
1: compensated well. That is no. for sure. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was like my dream yeah. job.
0: My first internship I ever did was Native Wildlife Rehab. And then I'm like, wow, you guys sacrifice so oh, yeah. much. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Hardly. Yeah, it was like 60 volunteers and two paid positions. It's right. like impossible. Yeah. So.
1: yeah. It's very admirable. Yes. Were you able to kind of learn anything, like, in particular that you can think of as far as, like, care techniques, uh, animal handling, that you were able to kind of bring back to our zoo that you learned there? Or was did you kind of have the skill set before you went out there and you knew kind of what you were getting yourself into?
2: Yeah, I kind of knew what I was going to get into. Okay. But, I mean, kind of bird restraint and bird handling is all very similar. Um, for me, the, the big difference was, like, the oiled wildlife stuff because I hadn't really done any of that. So, okay. And that was just wearing the proper... Gear, the Tyvek suit, the the right gloves, and things like that. Um, so that was kind of new for me, and it was only one bird that they had in that space at that time. Um, so I, it's not like I had like a brand new incoming bird, and hey, here's like the the wash down, like yeah, all the different yeah. steps, you know.
0: Do they use um, Dawn dish soap? They do. Really? Yeah, okay, I wondered if that was true. That's a true. big deal. Yeah. yeah.
2: Shout out to P and G.
0: Cincinnati hometown. Yeah. Um Wow. That's really cool. I mean, it's, it's really neat to be able to literally save an animal, right? Like you yeah. bring it in, you nurse it back to health and then it gets to go back and be wild. Yeah. Again. that's, yeah. I think like one of the most rewarding yeah. things. That,
2: that, that was cool. Yeah, I, yeah. Releasing that loon was pretty neat. Uh, again, it was very like, Oh, Hey, you're here. And then it was just gone. But you know, <laughs> that, that was good though. That's right. What you, want. So that's you, what you don't what want it seeing. to sit around and like hang out in the bay and then, you know, you get a call about it later. Right. Um, but yeah, that was, that was pretty cool.
0: And then tell us about how you started with the plighted plovers.
2: Yeah, piping plovers. Piping yes. plovers. Yes.
0: Well, they are plighted? <laughs> <Why> <laughs> Where did yeah. come the, yeah. the, the Great Lakes piping,
2: piping plovers. plovers. Um, so yeah, a couple months after getting back from bird rescue, again, summer of conservation, uh, I went up to northern Michigan, and it's University of Michigan's biological station. So I think it's their northernmost campus. As an Ohio State fan, it was kind of weird driving in underneath the big M, but, you know. You're a little conflicted. I I was, I was. um, (laughs) But no, it was good. Nobody up there cared about sports, so it was fine. Um, But yeah, so a really, really small campus, a lot of acreage, um, and a bunch of baby birds. Uh, So we had, this year was a record for the piping plover. They had 40, I think it was 43 chicks at the station. Um, This was a record year of observed nests for that species. Mm -hmm. There were 80 pairs.
0: Which is a good thing. Which is a good thing, but but
2: that's the population. Oh my (laughs) gosh, (laughs) are you serious? Yeah, it's a very, very small population. So that regional group, the Great Lakes region, there's 80 pairs of piping plovers. Wow. And so out of those 80 pairs, 40 of those eggs had to be pulled. And that was because of nest disturbances, like the birds just leaving the nest and saying, hey, here's the eggs, and they're gone. Um, There's a lot of volunteers up in that region that watch these nests I was just going to ask,
0: how do they keep an eye on that? Yeah,
2: so they're working with Fish and Wildlife. They're working with um, the Biological Station. Um, This whole program is ran by the Detroit Zoo. Um, And then, so they're the one who put out the call needing folks to work with these baby birds if you have hand-rearing experience on how to raise, you know, shorebirds. And again, I have a weird skill set, so I was able to be like you're hey, the main hey, for the job that. Well, <laughs> that. So myself and Kim from our team were able to go up. She went up before me and we were I was up there for ten or eleven days. Wow. And yeah, so we are right on the lake. Like you would walk out of the office and there was this pristine lake, like right there. You'd see eagles flying over, which is cool. really cool. That's awesome. Um it was like super quiet. I mean it is a college campus so like One of the evenings, I did hear a party going on in the woods, because there there were these cabins like strategically placed all over the hillsides and stuff, and so we stayed in one of the houses there, and yeah, it was just this, every day they'd ring a bell at the cafeteria, and that's when you could come and get food, and it was was like living on campus, but like a campus in the middle of nowhere, in the woods. It's like summer camp as a kid or something. It was, it was was no joke like adult summer camp, you know, like, and there's all these trails everywhere, so... In between, like, breaks that I would have from work, I would go on hikes, or I actually drove up, so I took a bike with me, because I'm a cyclist, and I was, like, riding around all these forest roads and stuff. Nice. Cool. It was actually pretty cool. But yeah, um, bird-wise, 40-some birds in the center, Um, it was the busiest year they've had.
0: Can I interrupt you and ask, why are they so endangered, or why are there so few left?
2: Yeah, so, unfortunately for the piping plover, where they like to live is where we like to go play. And that's kind of the, the big thing, um, you know, just folks being in the area, enjoying the beaches in the summertime, um, people having their dogs on the beaches, letting mm. their dogs run off leash. That was a big thing in that, these wildlife areas. Um, so the birds get spooked. They spook really easily and then they're, they're gone. They just don't come back. And they don't come back. Huh. Yeah. So their whole thing is like from the bird perspective is, hey, I can, I'm going to preserve myself. I can have eggs yeah. next year, um, which is a bummer for the overall population. Um, but again, this was a record year, and so 43 chicks, uh, I think the majority of them did go back, and so they went to different areas um, in the Great Lakes region, and then so they could, because I mean at 28 days, they're pretty much adult size and they're running around, and then they go and they would be let out in these areas where their other populations are, and then they would get in with those groups, and then they would start migration. Oh, okay. So yeah, like there's a really complex banding system that the folks... Up there, like, they have, you know, there's, like, four four different colors on, like, each, like, like all these different oh, wow. complex banding system. I have no idea how to read it. Like, <laughs> I saw them band a, a few birds, and I'm like, I have no idea what's going on with this. So <laughs> like, this is bizarre. There is, a, like, uh, some stuff online you can find that shows you how to read it. But they, they do have folks monitoring and making sure, like, birds are making the migration. So really, really cool project. Um, again, super lucky to get up and go do that because, again, it was, like, Zookeeper summer camp too. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> the days were really long though. I mean, like you had different steps and from the protocols on how to raise these babies, you had like the indoor spaces, you had the outdoor spaces and then there was a lake pen as well. So an enclosure built out into the lake. Wow. Oh, Cool. Um, you couldn't leave any birds out overnight because it was like plover proof but it was not predator proof. Oh. So.
0: How do you get them back in? Because
2: the you whole. Have, you have to hand catch them.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Because there's, I have very little knowledge, but I did do an internship with the Wildlife rehab Center. And, like, yeah. you have to be really careful, and you can probably explain better than I could, about imprinting and making sure mm-hmm. that they learn how to yeah. be wild birds and not want to go to people and obviously catching them when they yeah. necessarily like that. But, like, do you have to worry about them
2: sure. with that? Sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, the cool thing that, that they were doing up there is they had this little, like, audio recorder, and so anytime you handled the birds, you'd play the Plover alarm vocalization.
0: Wow.
2: So basically that's signifying to the birds, hey, something bad is happening.
0: Yeah. Because
2: it's like all these alarm vocalizations. So you'd play that, you'd catch them in a net or catch them by, the, by hand, put them in a crate, move them back to the building.
0: That sounds like a lot of work.
2: It was a lot of catching birds. Yeah, um, But yeah, so it's, you know, this little enclosed en- enclosure out in a lake. Um, we had to do like maintenance to that, you know, throughout the time. Um you had to do a perimeter check every day and the reason why we couldn't leave them out at night and that enclosure is every morning we'd find mink tracks around um, the entire enclosure. And so I was like, Oh, that's, that's not okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're yeah. looking for a snack for sure. absolutely. Yeah. And so there were outdoor enclosures that were attached to the building that they were able to go outside okay. at night. And that was a little bit more secure. Mm-hmm. Um, that was predator proof hundred um, percent. So we were able to have them out at night, but you'd go through different stages. So the first night they would go out, you would have to get up at, like, 2 in the morning and, like, 4 in the morning to make sure everybody's okay. Oh, my god! And gosh. you'd do a head count at those times. For me, luckily, I get up usually around 4 a.m. every day. I'm one of those weird people that You're gets so up and works weird. out in the morning. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but 4 a.m.? Yeah. You're a weirdo. I'm going <laughs> I know, I know. to say it. I know. It, it, it works out for me. I know it's yeah. not for everybody. No, uh, but, yeah. Just impressed. 4 a.m., yeah. So that was kind of normal. I would get up. I'd go check the birds, I'd go back to the house and make coffee, and then I'd go sit by the lake and watch the sunrise. Awesome. Super cool. And like the the other cool thing about that lake is you're up so far north, there are common loons on that lake, and they vocalize all night. So the first night I couldn't sleep because it was just this constant vocalization. Oh and that's all you would hear is just loons. And then, you know, by the third night, you know, everything's fine. Yeah. But. Yeah, the first night you're like, "What? What?" The <laughs> right. um, really, really cool project, though. Like they do some really, really awesome work. So
1: that's awesome. That's such an interesting technique, too. I wouldn't have thought to play a bird's alarm call so yeah. that it doesn't positively associate with the humans. Right? Like that's genius because yeah. they need to be scared of humans. Right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's a really cool setup they have up there. Like the the little
2: recorder they they have um, incubator set up from the Detroit Zoo, and there were eggs that were like um, all the babies that were in the center all hatched from eggs so you have to have staff up there that knows what they're doing incubation wise uh knows how to hand rear birds you know from the get-go um so again that's why like myself and kim we were up there and like it was kind of at the later stages there was one egg that hatched when i was there um this bird he started the hatch process and i was the only staff there that was experienced enough to deal with it so i was talking a lot with detroit's curator hey here's you know, how we're going to do this, usually within 24 to 48 hours, a bird is, once it's in the air cell, it's out of the egg. And so hatching is like a two-step process. You internally pip, so you break through into the air cell and then you externally pip, so you break Mm -hmm. out of the hard shell. This bird did not go through the outer shell. And so, you know, we slowly chipped things away. And then basically I ended up, pulling this chick completely out he survived the first day and then he didn't survive at all so mm. usually when you don't hatch on your own there's a reason why yeah okay. and so that that's the part of like rehab and rescue stuff that you're like eh that's that's kind of a tough one you know but that's kind yeah. of how it works like that bird in the wild that bird wouldn't have he wouldn't he even have made been, it oh, yeah, absolutely not so. yeah so I mean he got a fighting chance um, mm. but you know he'd look great for a day you know but after that it wasn't doing well yeah
0: It's, you, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but, like, well, you probably do. It shouldn't happen often, but if there is a bird struggling to hatch, what is the reason that you can't? Why do you have to chip away or, like, give it time? Why can't you just pull it out of its shell?
2: Well, usually, uh, again, there's reasons why it could be positioning um, inside the egg. Um, Just the process of getting out of the egg is such a violent, strenuous thing for the the chick. Um, So the yolk sac is still, like, being absorbed into the body. So, kind of like us and the placenta if you think of humans okay. or mammals. Um so with that yolk sac, it has to be pulled into the body and that's basically what's feeding them for like, you know, the whole time they're in the egg but also like their first day of life. Oh, okay. So if you pull them out too soon, that's not absorbed and now you have this external yolk sac uh, and now bacteria and now all this horrible stuff's going to happen okay. to that chick. So, you need them to use their legs. You need them pushing out It's also them getting stronger on the way out, and Mm. then they're absorbing that yolk sac, and then everything goes through the umbilicus, and then everything is fine. Okay. Um, But a lot of times, if they're not hatching on their own, there is a reason
0: why. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So what would be a reason that people are so interested in saving these plovers? Like, how did this project get started?
2: Yeah, uh, I want to say it started, I want to say it was in the 80s late 80s I think is when that started when they realized the population was like I think at its lowest the population was at 14 pairs oh wow for the Great Lakes region like there's plovers in a lot of piping plovers in a lot of areas um but the Great Lakes region yeah it was like 14 I want to say that was in the I say mid 90s I should know this off the top of my head but um it was in in that ballpark okay um and then you know again all these different facilities so you know fish and wildlife. In Detroit Zoo, like they're kind of doing the heavy lifting of that, and then University of Michigan as well, you know, giving that facility, and like that space is there when they're not doing the plover stuff, that space is empty.
0: Oh, okay. so it
2: is like their dedicated space, which is really cool. Yeah, that out of this really tiny campus, that space is just there, like ready to go. That's really cool. Yeah, you know? definitely. Yeah, it's cool to see like different organizations all working together for the same goal. You know, that's that's really cool. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm
1: you know, what what would you say to someone who like was wondering what why is it worth it if this population is already down to 14 pairs why yeah. don't we just let them go yeah like, why is it worth saving these little i mean plovers are little birds why is it worth oh, saving yeah. them oh yeah it's like you a know? cotton ball with like little <laughs> I mean, that's what they look like um,
2: um but yeah, especially when they hatch um i actually had that question when i was up there um from a group a group of college students and i didn't have this answer uh, at that time, and I was kind of, like, kicking myself later, like, ah, oh, I should have had a better answer, but, um, this, w- one of the college students asked, like, you know, the same thing, why is this important, and, you know, and I didn't really have a good answer for him, and I was like, man, like, number one, like, I appreciate this kid, because I would be asking that question, too, because, you know, you know, a lot of times you just go through life and don't ask questions, this kid's, like, asking the hard mm. questions, and then I was the guy going, oh, I don't, I don't know, I guess, <laughs> you know, biodiversity, um, um, which is important. um but, after thinking about it, I do think the most important thing for that for why those animals deserve like or why they deserve any sort of resources is like that animal deserves a right to be alive. Mm-hmm. You know, like they deserve their space like and that just because we as humans like we spend time in their you know, we recreate in their spaces where they, you know, try to set up nest sites and stuff like they they have a right to life. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that is a very important, important thing that, like, as conservationists, we need to kind of get in on the same team as that, you know. Like, that's, we need to be mindful of what we're doing, you know. We need to, like, make sure that all these animals, like, they, they have a right to be there because they were there before we were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I think that's kind of the takeaway that I had from that,
1: you know. No, I love that, and that's... I think the right messaging to have too, right? We're all equal inhabitants of this earth. Yeah. They have just as much of a right to the space as we do. Absolutely. I mean, I know it's easy to be selfish sometimes and kind of get caught up in your own stuff. But yeah, like those birds, it's just important for them. They live their entire life cycle on that lake. It's just as important, if not more important for them to have that lake than it is for us.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I I love some beach time, you know. But (laughs) But yeah, I mean, they, they have a right to be there too. So, yeah.
0: It's really tough because... Obviously, we care about humans, too, but sometimes it's... When you think about it, it's like we are literally destroying other animals' homes to build our own homes or to recreate oh, or yeah. do these things. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, of course, humans deserve things, too. But I feel when you see a, a raccoon hit on the side of the road, it, like crushes me like it was just trying to get some more food it was just, just doing his thing trying yeah. to find a mate it was just walking around and it just happened to be where cars drive like it wasn't it's not oh, its sure. fault that like, yeah, cars sure. drive yeah. through here and it's it's hard to think about like how animals just have to like work around us essentially yeah. well yeah
2: and, and i think that's important for us too like like the animals aren't going to speak up for themselves, mm-hmm. so we have to be their voice. Yeah, you know, and I think that's a super important part of what we do. You yes, know? Like, Especially for our animals, and you know, they're here and they're you know might live in other areas or for our native species too. So
1: yeah, we need to be their advocates for sure. Yeah, I'm super curious to hear how it it turned out. that you said you got 43 plovers mm-hmm. hatching from the eggs. Yeah. How many of them were able to make it and be released? Did you as, did you ever as get the far numbers? as I
2: know. I want to say... I would guess at least 39 or 40 went back. I know there was one that was... I don't know if he ended up going back because he was a little... a little atypical, um, okay. you know, in in one of the groups because we had different age groupings, um, but... Yeah, I think the majority of them did go back.
1: But so. I mean that's thirty nine or forty out oh, of oh, yeah. forty three, that's ninety yeah, yeah, percent. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. And
2: in their first year of migration, that's gonna be a challenge too. Sure. But you know, that's what they would have to deal with, you know, if they weren't hatched at the facility too. Like if they were just hatched out under one of those eighty pairs, like that first year of life is pretty rough. And that's kind of a common theme with birds. Like their mm-hmm. first year of life is pretty brutal, you know.
0: Where are they migrating to?
2: So all the way down to um, I believe I want to say the Carolinas and even a little bit further south.
0: Okay. Um, Migration in general fascinates me. Yeah. Any type of animal yeah. that migrates. It's yeah. unbelievable to Especially me. Especially
1: a little bird like that, right? Oh that is gosh. such a long oh, journey absolutely, for a yeah. Migration is such a weird one. The yeah.
0: monarchs, that, like whales of crossing yeah. oh, oceans yeah, yeah. and wildebeests. It's just... Yeah. Unbelievable. I want to talk to a migration expert. I don't know. That's I know a thing, yeah. But yeah. So many questions. It, I mean, is, it is fascinating. I have to yeah. use my GPS to go like 20 minutes sometimes if I've
2: never been there. Like, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Way. It's incredible. We humans are soft, right? It's yes. <laughs> the best way to put it, honestly. Yeah. For
1: sure.
0: So it's unfortunate that birds need a lot of conservation and rehab specifically, mm-hmm. but yeah. I think it's really cool that the zoo can give back through you and your efforts and your knowledge and, like, skill set to help wild, like, wildlife here in the United States is super cool. Like, I just, I would love to go help with any animal, and truly any animal, but, like, Mm -hmm. the ones that we specialize in, it's, we can't just... It's not like lions need us to go and hand feed them in the true. wild, right? Like, oh, yeah, true, they yeah. don't need us to go yeah. help. So I think it's really cool that you, like, are looking for these opportunities and, like, getting to do yeah. them. So. Yeah,
2: I, I, th- I think we as bird keepers are pretty fortunate in that regard because, you know, again, our skill set is very bizarre. Mm-hmm. And being able to go and actually utilize that elsewhere I think is really cool. And then helping out a species at the same time. So yeah. it's, yeah. it's, it's cool for the animal, but it's cool for us, too. It's like keeper enrichment, mm-hmm. you know. So. Do
0: we have any plovers here? Any we types? do not. No? Okay. Uh,
2: we do have some lapwings, which are probably the closest thing that we would have. Okay. So, hooded lapwings in our Australasia exhibit, and we have spur wing lap lapwings in the Jungle Trails indoor swamp exhibit. Okay,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, they—they're just you know long legs, tiny body, but they're a little bit bigger than the piping plovers. Okay, mm-hmm. but similar ballpark.
0: Mm-hmm. We have a, a question that people don't like to answer, but I'll specify it or I'll like shrink it down, so maybe it'll be yeah. easier for you. Do you have a favorite type of Shorebird or seabird specifically. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: that's a good one. I, I have a weird list of favorite birds, um, but seabird-wise, I would say puffins are on that list. Okay. Puffins are awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, puffins don't get enough credit. They're, they um, all seem fake. They you do. You know what I mean? Like- <laughs> yeah. No, they really do. Um, I, I do think they... Uh, if there would have been like a March of the Penguins or Happy Feet equivalent, I know like puffins were in Happy Feet too. Uh, if you have kids, I'm sure you've seen. I <laughs> <They> haven't, <actually. laughs> haven't, no. There are puffins in that, um, but if they would have had that equivalent, I think um, they probably would be just as popular. As wow, yeah. okay. Very but cool. you know, March of the Penguins and Happy Feet, all that stuff came out before. Um, you said they look fake, so I do have a funny story about a fake puffin. Um, when I first started. And the polar bear exhibit. That's
0: what one I was thinking like, about. <laughs> oh, yeah. there, there
2: used to be that puffin statue, uh-huh. right? So I was brand new here. And I'm just, you know, walking, you know, like all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, walking across the zoo. Applied to
0: the right job this I, time. Yes, I did. I applied to <laughs> the right job. Um, and a zoo
2: guest stopped me. And she was like, sir, there, there's a, a puffin in this exhibit. And she was dead serious. And I didn't know. And so I'm like, oh, my God, there is a Whoa. puffin there. And and so I'm standing there with the zoo guest and like we're both like bewildered like how did this puffin get out and I'm like <laughs> oh my god like I take care of the puffins, and somehow a puffin got out, and I and it's was it's going to get
1: eaten by a polar bear. Yes, yeah. so and I was like,
2: and it's in the polar bear exhibit. This is horrible. I called somebody on the radio. Luckily, nobody answered me, you know, because I was like, oh, my God, this is bad. I'm so this is sad bad. that
0: I answered you I know, I right? Talk talked to them right now. Yeah, but I was
2: like, oh, my God, there's, like, I let a puffin out. And then finally, like, I, I started looking, and I was like, my logical brain kicked in. And I'm like, wait a minute. There's a spotting scope pointed right at them. and I was like, "Wait a minute, even further. That's an Atlantic puffin, and we have horn puffins." That was the time we didn't have Atlantic puffins at the time, and I was like, "I'm a moron." <laughs> you know, common theme today. Was well, she
0: still there. there as you were like? Yeah, she was, all was. She was all. still there
2: because she was just as concerned as I was. You guys went through it together. Yeah, we did. <laughs> and then I was like, "Hold on, hold on." Like, did you? Admit th- it? I was like, "Look through <laughs> this spotting scope." I was like, "It's pointed right at it because it was fixed. You couldn't move it around." Yeah. I was like, "That's a statue." Oh my god! And then I kind of walked away, and I was like, "Oh my god, like, oh, what is that about?" Uh, yeah. I'm crying. <laughs> that's yeah. Oh so again, yeah, it's not. Some days I'm not intelligent. So <laughs> hey, we all have those. I know, things, right? But we all have those. Yeah. Oh god, that's too funny. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, is there anything else about like oh the conservation efforts you've done, or anything that you wanted to share with us as far as your experiences that yeah. we didn't touch on?
2: I think I think I covered most of that. Um I mean super cool experience. I, I feel really lucky I was able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um big props to our bird department um for enabling folks to go out and do stuff. I mean that's a cool thing with our mm-hmm. birdhouse culture is we all have our own little weird projects and we support each other to do that. So being able to hey, I can go for two weeks and be somewhere else and Everything's covered on the work side of things. Yeah. That's mm. really really awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So big props to the birdhouse for that, and then also big props to my wife for you know luckily like it's in the summer, mm-hmm. so you know I have three kids, so being able to be like, hey, I'm going to be gone right. for a period of time. You know, like the South Africa thing, it happened really fast, yeah. and it was like, hey, I'm going to be gone for like two weeks. Is this cool? And she's like, we'll make it work. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so like big props to her for for being cool with that yeah <laughs> for sure yeah for sure it takes a village it, it does definitely. it absolutely does yeah definitely.
1: it's some i'm sure it's extremely rewarding for you to get to help out those projects but it's yeah. also something you should be extremely proud of like the fact that you applied for the grants oh really yeah. kind of get that facility funding and then you're yeah, able to kind yeah. of go through and help out on the back for backside. sure like, for sure no it, it, yeah. that's
2: been really great and you know the crew is willing to help out with that mm-hmm. you know again because it's not like a big flashy thing
0: that's you know? one of my favorite things is it gives us If we put in the effort, we can feel like we're making a huge difference as far as, like, getting these grants and applying for them and helping with the process and then Mm -hmm. actually giving back to whatever conservation organization we um, choose. So I definitely am appreciative of CREW
2: allowing those Mm -hmm. opportunities. Absolutely. Big props to them. Yes. Well, Cody, if
1: you're up for it, I do have a couple trivia questions you had for you guys. Today. Oh, okay, yeah. Cody, see, I don't think we did
0: trivia. No, like we, we didn't. Last one. Yeah. All right,
1: this is some statistics for oh, for God. just wildlife rehab, bird rehab specifically. Oh. So just about like kind of hit home why it's so important. All right. Okay. 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 I got three questions for you guys today. Let's see Am I how I'm how we gonna do embarrass it. myself? <laughs> the first one's a number question, Jenna. So that's probably a Likely. yes. All right. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> probably a <it> yes. <gets. laughs> To start off, I'm sure everyone kind of remembers the big Deepwater Horizon oil spill that took place in the Gulf of Mexico, wow, 15 years ago almost now. Yeah, something um, like that. So this is a massive oil spill throughout the Gulf of Mexico. That, According to National Geographic, they estimated how many birds were affected by this oil spill, either that unfortunately lost their lives or were Part of rescue and rehab efforts, and were able to be kind of cleaned up and sent back out into the wild. But how many birds in total did the oil spill affect?
0: I'm sure it's depressing.
2: Yikes,
1: it's a lot. It's so a lot. fun fact: it's uh, a lot. Uh, Kylie at
2: International Bird Rescue, she was there doing the rehab work. Wow! Oh that no way! Spill. Amazing. Yeah. She's got some crazy stories. Oh that, gosh, you know? I can't
1: even imagine. Yeah. yeah. I don't even. Do know. you have a guess?
0: I'm always so wrong. I want to say like a million, but I'm probably too high for once. I'm always under. I'll give you a hint. A
2: million's a little high. Okay.
0: <laughs> I'll let <laughs> <like>
2: Cody
1: <laughs> guess next. Oh, I would I would just guess, I don't know, 15,000. 15,000, all right. I'll say 50,000. 50,000. You're both a little low. They asked, National Geographic estimated about 82,000 birds Yikes. A million yeah, is really were close. affected by that this world. Really, <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> I'm, glad, 000, I'm glad I was very wrong on that, but still that's unreal. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of birds. 82,000 yeah. birds from about 102 different species. And obviously this is an extreme example, yeah. right? But still, it kind of just highlights how important this work is. majority of those probably didn't survive either. That's yeah. the other
2: depressing yeah. fact of that.
1: Like, yeah, definitely. That's a lot. Um, but according to the... Facility that you worked for, International Mm. Bird Rescue. Mm -hmm. I was kind of doing doing some research through them. Yeah. So through International Bird Rescue, following an oil spill, about how long on average does it take a bird to be taken in from the facility, Mm. cleaned up, and then released back into the wild? Mm. About how long does the process take? In days. It's not years. Not years. (laughs) Not years. It's days. It's days. I'll say twenty-seven. I was going to say 21. 20. You both are a little bit high. They said, it. obviously, every case is different. Every case is unique. It's going to depend. But they estimate about 8 to 10 days, give or oh, take, gosh. from a bird being brought in, a bird being cleaned up, mm-hmm. rehabbed, and then sent back out. That's good but, news. Yeah. It's not quite as long as you might think, but still, 8 to 10 days yeah. per bird. Like a, that's a example lot. example of an oil spill, I can't imagine how many birds you're taking in. Mm-hmm. Like that's mm-hmm. The amount of help required for that is unbelievable. Right. All right, on to number three. Last question. International Bird Rescue. We mentioned it earlier. They use one specific brand of soap <laughs> to clean their birds. Shout out to this brand. What brand of soap does International Bird Rescue use? What
0: are the odds? Dawn. 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 Yeah. Dawn. Dawn. I always, I always wondered if that was actually... that's legit that
1: is legit wow and it's all from what I understood it's all donated 100% Mm -hmm. of the Dawn used at International Bird Rescue is donated by Dawn so by P&G so props to P&G for getting involved in that and helping out with those efforts because that's massive Yeah, Yeah, that's huge yeah very yeah. cool. But thanks for playing along with trivia. We definitely <laughs> appreciate you doing it. I feel like not guess. a good bird person. <laughs> like, I didn't
2: know my numbers. No, that's what
0: the trivia always yeah. is. It's just like you learn something new and you
1: embarrass yourself at the same time. Yeah. Well, at least that's my experience. Fantastic. We all have a good time. Though, yeah. Right? Yeah. Fantastic. It's always easier for me because I'm asking the questions.
0: Right. So. Fair enough. Uh, oh. so we have one last question for yeah. you. What can I do?
2: Yeah. Um, with native birds, there's a lot. And you guys have probably talked about it before, you know, doing the backyard bird stuff. You can do feeders. You can create habitat in your backyard. That's awesome for native species. Um, I do think with shorebirds and seabirds, just being more mindful of your activities. I think that's a big one. Um, Whether that's like making sure your fishing line and your fishing tackle is not just cut and left somewhere. Like Mm. that's horrible for seabirds um and
0: probably so many other and a animals. lot of things
2: yeah and just people using the beach right yes yeah um so yeah that's a big one just being you know a little bit more mindful with that and then also being mindful with your pet dogs when you're on vacation mm. um again like the plovers they like to set up shop where we like to play and you know if they're trying to build a nest and you've got dogs running off leash and just wrecking havoc then that's going to create more birds that need to be rescued so just be a little bit mindful of that like I say that as a dog owner i love mm-hmm. my dog he's he's awesome but he's always on a leash because he's crazy so <laughs> uh, well yeah and
0: honestly dogs should be on leashes for so many reasons uh, with other dogs around oh, and sure, all sure. sorts of cars and everything yeah, yeah often if there are bur- neds neds birds nesting on the ground yeah are there often signs or what are what could people look out for to know i mean mm-hmm. we could just encourage them to keep their dogs on leashes but Let's yeah. say you're not, what could they look out mm-hmm. for? Is
2: it Well, w- with the Plovers specifically and their nesting sites, um, a lot of different organizations will rope those off. Okay. Um, so before I went up to the biological station to work with Plovers, I was in northern Michigan on vacation. So I spent a lot of time in Michigan this year. It was really <laughs> interesting. But up around um, Sleeping Bear Dunes and kind of close to Glen Arbor, um, in that national park area, there were nesting plovers in that area and everything was roped off. So you couldn't really get close. I saw a bunch of wild plovers and that was really cool, cool, really cool to see. Cause I was like, Oh, I'm going to be working with them in like two weeks. So yeah. That's cool. Um, but yeah, all that area. So there were signs posted everywhere. I know a lot of times when we go on vacation, we turn our brains off and mm-hmm. we don't look at signs, mm-hmm. but signs are really important. I mean, we use signs to drive our cars oh, right. and, but then when we like park our car and get out of it, we turn our brains off. But just looking for those signs to say, "Hey, here's what's in the area. Here's what you should be looking out for, and here's how to avoid certain hazards." Right, yeah. <laughs> and, and
0: especially if there are ropes that are very obviously yeah. like trying to block something off, you may not go under it, but your dog might.
2: So oh, like, keep absolutely. that in mind. Yeah. Especially for if sure. they see a little tiny thing running around, you yes, know, like the little plovers trying to act tough, pretend, you know, protecting their nest. Yeah, yeah. Your uh, dog's gonna be like, "Hey, I'm
1: gonna play with that." Right? Yeah. Uh, That's where my dog would be. (laughs) And I like the way you put it. It's just being mindful, right? I'm sure most of these people who are letting their dogs kind of disturbing these nests, I'm sure they don't mean any harm. Oh, absolutely not. No, absolutely not. They're not not. trying to be malicious about it, but Mm -hmm. it still has the same effect whether you're trying to be malicious or not, unfortunately. So just kind of looking out for signs, Mm -hmm. nest sites, ropes, all that kind of stuff might be an indicator. And you mentioned with the fishing hooks too, you had some experience with the pelicans. Yeah, yeah.
2: At bird rescue, yeah. yeah, they're... Um, the craziest thing I've ever seen, um, it was a giant pitcher full of just fishing tackle of all the stuff they've pulled out of birds over however long that's been there. Probably not that long. Cause I feel like they were constantly pulling stuff out. Mm. So yeah, when you're dealing with seabirds, you're dealing with a lot of fishing stuff and just think about all the trash in the ocean. I mean, that's like incredible to think about. And a lot of that's like fishing line and like bobbers and,
1: and fish hooks, hooks. And Yeah, everything. And yeah.
2: that's like that wrecks havoc on seabirds. So just being mindful of that. That's a a good place to start. Or if
0: you want to just be extra helpful and you're not one of those people that even left the fishing line, like if you see it, just pick it up. Oh absolutely, yeah. I'm wondering if some of the time it's the fish get caught, they get the line gets cut, the fish are then just slowly dying and they're easy prey for these birds. So it's like double whammy two of these animals are
2: suffering. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's always a good rule of thumb. Like, yeah, when you're in a natural area, hey, take some trash out with you. Like, yeah. like that's a, a big sport. Not a sport, but I think some other countries that's, like, a big thing. It's called, like, plogging or something where you take a trash bag, and while you're hiking, you pick up you trash. You fill it up, yeah. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I've done it I've I've that thing. with my yeah. kids at some of the yeah. local parks, and it's actually entertaining. You can make it like. a game. Who can pick up the most? I know, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's it's always entertaining. <gasps> yeah. Yeah, that's a good place to start. Cool. No, well, it.
0: lots of ideas then, but... Yeah. Um, Thank you so much for all of your yeah, work yeah, no and problem. for coming and talking to us again. Yeah.
1: Thanks for having me on again. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> no, like Jenna said, thanks for all your work, all your dedication. Um, and thanks to everyone who tuned in today. Hopefully you guys learned a lot. Hopefully you're able to kind of take some of this home and put it into practice. So I like those What Can I do? Those are a couple of really good ones.
0: Yes. All right. Have a good day, everyone.
1: Take care.